0: In this week's show, our guest is Daniel Friedman, an Orthodox jewish Hellenian, canadian scientist. He is the author of The Biblical Clock, The Untold Secrets Linking the Universe and Humanity with God's Plan. He's a professional engineer and holds a master's degree in engineering physics. For 20 years, he was CEO of a global communications and information company, which built the Space Station Robotic Arms and was involved in space exploration and the Hubble Telescope. He has 30 years' experience in the space industry. Dr. Freeman is conducting a virtual book tour promoting his book this summer and would like to share with us more about this project. We're a radio show that plays in a very progressive radio station, and I try to keep it balanced with uh, broad subjects and then also dealing with issues related to the Bible, to history, to the fight against anti-Semitism. You know, people are very familiar with the Christian perspective of the Bible regarding the book of Genesis. Can you tell us a little bit about the Jewish interpretation of of the book of Genesis? Because here in Houston, where I'm located, we have a homeschooling group and they brought, I think his name is, uh, last name Ham. He's from uh, Answers in Genesis. And he was telling the kids and their parents, uh, Don't worry, the scientists are crazy. We can justify the world being 6,000 years old and that dinosaurs and humans live together. So you don't have nothing to worry about. The Bible is literally correct and everything's fine. Are there people like that in, in the Jewish world that, that are literalists and not open to expanded views of the book of Genesis? Or is it open to all kinds of different ways to look at.
1: You asked me two separate questions. Let me start with the second one first. Uh, in, I think in, in both Christianity and Judaism, because we share Genesis as a foundational book, there are uh, people in three camps. And in fact, the United States runs a census. It doesn't, you know, they don't ask people whether they're Christian or Jewish. They run a census for the whole United States. But based on the dozens of talks I have given to uh, very mixed audiences, uh uh, it seems to be across the board. There, is a, there are particular people in Christianity and Judaism that believe in the literal, inter- literal interpretation of Genesis, the six days of creation, 6,000 years ago, give or take. And uh, uh, But for dinosaurs and humans to have been here at the same time is a whole other story. <laughs> but they're in that interpretation, there are people, and that's about 40% of the U.S. population, Another 40 percent of the u.s population believe in the scientific data. so the universe is 13 billion years old and so on and so forth but they also believe that God had something to do with creating the universe so they say look the science is correct and I don't know if the Bible is correct but certainly there's a God and only 20% which is a little surprising are you know the standard uh, uh, naturalistic, uh, belief that everything happened kind of by chance through the Big Bang and the uh, and the series of of evolution. Um, so that's kind of the statistics out there, and I, I don't think they're, they're religion broken up by religion. There's there's groups in both Judaism and Christianity on on, on every end of that spectrum. So um, so that's what you have. Now you asked me you know, what's the difference between the Christian and the uh, Jewish interpretation of Genesis, I I think I'd like to back up a little bit. So the the big difference between Christianity and Judaism is that in Judaism, we believe that Moses was handed the written Bible, which included the five books of Moses, but other other volumes too, um, and also an oral tradition. And the innovation or the change, look, we're not going to follow the oral tradition. We're just going to stick to the written part. Um, That doesn't create a big problem because the the oral tradition doesn't contradict the written tradition. The oral tradition just expands it. So when I go to try and understand Genesis, I do use the oral tradition because frankly, without it, I don't have enough information. Um, But I have found that uh you know the Christian audiences don't have a big problem with the information I'm coming up with because it's non-controversial between the two religions. It's about you know God making the world, it's not about other issues. Uh, so that's that's the main difference that if you use the oral tradition, uh, then you have a lot more information to work with to try and understand what is going on in Genesis. And frankly, when you see the oral tradition explanations, you can actually see them in the written, in the written, but just, they're just not obvious. But once you know it, and you, they're, they're obvious to people, so they're, they're okay with it.
0: Okay, but there is no narrow way to look at this oral tradition because the, the question would be from, from people who are fundamentalists would be, uh, are, are you just interpreting the oral tradition to fit a preconceived idea or are you actually taking the sources and being faithful to them uh, when I when I did my master's in Jewish studies that was always the question do you come in with something and then you try to work around it to make it sound Jewish or are you being faithfully uh, committed to the the ongoing interpretation of, of, of those texts with the ongoing tradition that is connected to it
1: Right. So you're absolutely right. And, you know, my approach has been to take the science as the peer-reviewed science. Uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a product of the scientific community. I've worked in it for 37 years. My GPS works. My satellites work. Everything works. So I take the science as peer-reviewed science. I don't say the scientists are wrong, which is one approach. I just take it. They're smarter than me. They figured it all out over many years. Einstein, Newton, all these guys, and I have some science answer. And my other approach is to take the Biblical uh, literature and the understanding from their from the masters at their source. I, I'm not going to interpret myself, I, I just don't have the background. So, um, for example, in my book, I do argue that the biblical timeline of six days and 6,000 years is correct. Uh, but I also argue that it's not incompatible with science. So, um, there are opinions in Judaism and Christianity that the days were very long periods of time, and that's how you can make peace. But the main, mainstream opinion and the mainstream sources, never mind opinion, say, no, it's six days and 6,000 years. So I take that, I take the biblical interpretations at face value, and I take the science at face value, and I don't try to say one's right and one's wrong, or one needs to change, or you know, my, my thinking is, is this way. Right? At least that's what I try to do.
0: Well, um, so you mentioned that the universe is considered to be 13 billion years old. Um, I heard on the news that there's a, a new debate regarding that, that, I don't know, 2 billion years less than what they thought before. Have, have you heard of that latest uh, report? Uh,
1: I've, I am aware that the calculation of 13.8 that's been done so far, because it is a calculation, uh, is based on data and we have two sets of data that are incompatible and therefore that calculation and the theories has to be revised, but I haven't seen a specific uh, thing recently about the 2 billion that you're mentioning.
0: Okay. And then in your book, you mentioned that there's um, these different um, periods of time that the Judaism um, discusses. So you said that, um, I'm trying to to remember the word that you use in the book. Um, you said that there was like spheres of of time, and and so instead of saying that there's seven thousand years, there's seven uh, almost like uh, segments of time, and then those get expanded into forty nine years, thousand years.
1: Yeah, I, I, you know what 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 I say in my book is, you know, if we take the if we take Genesis, and and that is, and we take that as God's word, which is what the what the Orthodox side on both Christianity and Judaism say, then uh, it also says in the Bible that you know that the Bible is is the blueprint for the world that you know God documented as, as an architect document what he was doing in that first chapter, and therefore I must be able to find in the Bible what science is seeing because if I go to my house and I measure the rooms and then I look at the blueprint, I can, I can make I can make sense of it all. Of course, I have to be trained on reading a blueprint. It doesn't look like a house, it looks like a blueprint. Uh, and the key to that process of making a blueprint or a map match this, the streets and a blueprint match the house is that those things come with a scale. And in the, in the case of my house, it says that, you know, one inch of the piece of paper is equivalent to eight feet. On the house, and once I know that, then it all makes sense. So, if the Bible is correct and science is measuring something, then the Bible must tell us what it's measuring. Now, the key thing here is that science claims that they're measuring the age of things, and that's not that's not exactly correct. Uh, um, if you'd like, I can I could give an example. for the sun would would understand what science measures. Science says the sun is four and a half billion years old. Um, Would you like me to do that for a minute? Yeah. So, you know, science says the universe is a little more complicated. So I'll do something simple that's right here and and much better understood. We have a whole pile of satellites pointed at the sun. And we know what goes on in the sun. What the sun does is it takes two hydrogen atoms under all the gravity and pressure that's there, and it makes it fuses them together because there's so much attraction. And when those two hydrogen atoms fuse, they create a helium atom, which is slightly lighter than the two hydrogens. And the difference in mass per Einstein's famous equation, mass equivalent to energy, is released. And that's why we have the heat of the sun. So we know today from looking through our satellites that the sun is composed of uh, approximately half hydrogen and half helium We also know when we look at this space in general out there, where there are no stars, that you have three-quarters hydrogen and one-quarter helium. So what we do as scientists, which makes total sense, is we say, well, obviously, when the sun started to burn, it came together from what's out there, which was three-quarters hydrogen, one-quarter helium, and today it's half and half, and we know exactly how long that equation takes. We've reproduced it on Earth. We have nuclear reactors on Earth. And if you want to convert, we know how much hydrogen there is now. If you want to convert from three quarters to one half of the hydrogen uh, into helium, it would take one and a half billion years. So that's a correct measurement, a correct theory, and a correct number. But it may not be the age of the Sun. Uh, according to Genesis, it says that the creation didn't start from whatever was there. The creation was guided uh, by God and. If God decided to mix half hydrogen, half helium, he could have made the sun 6,000 years ago. And, and it would look to us, by the inference of sciences, that it's four and a half billion years old, but it's not. Um, so that's how you start to uh, to reconcile. And we can do lots of other examples about life. It's the same thing. You start to uh, reconcile those things. But I come back to, okay, uh, but it's still... Has to say somewhere that he made it look like it's four and a half billion years old. In other words, that he used half hydrogen because it's the blueprint. He could have used three quarters hydrogen, one quarter hydrogen, half hydrogen, uh, what have you. So that's where the time scale comes in. So I went looking in the oral tradition for what what might a day be equivalent to. And you know, I think everybody's is is heard of Psalm ninety point four where it says that one day for God is like a thousand of our years. So there's the there's the context already in Psalms, which is you know part of the written canon of both both religions, that has a concept that uh, time for God flows very differently than time for us. Um, so that's the approach to try and reconcile these two things, to look for that scale factor of what a day might have been equivalent to
0: i'm struggling a little bit because um I-, I read books where they say well god made it look like this and god made it look like that and then let's take this passage and then let's apply it and i guess i'm i'm, I'm more influenced by a manadian approach where if you look at at the text they have beautiful uh very meaningful uh, information but there's this aspect of a lot of it was soliloquy, a lot of it was poetic language. Have you ever had anyone say, well, that's just a, a phrase that people use, uh, a day is like a thousand years. Why take it literal and then go from there?
1: Because that's what the guys that have passed it down tell us to do, which are, you know, the the, the tradition is that Moses received all this stuff and he passed it on and passed it on and passed it on to eventually got to a To our grandparents, it was written down along the process, Uh, first the the written tradition, then the oral tradition. But I I just take it at face value because I have a document, the Bible, that claims to be authored by God. It claims to be exact. Uh, You would know from Judaism that to keep the Sabbath or to eat kosher, there's nothing approximate about it. (laughs) It's it's extremely exacting. So, you know, rather than making up my own mind about this, I, I just... Take what uh, what they tell me now. What what we have to realize, and this is where it gets confusing, is that, and I'm going to speak in 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 terms that I, I used to explain. Uh, uh, the the Bible is a user's manual. The, the Bible is written to tell us how to live, um, exemplified by the Ten Commandments, and. Um, so, you know, when we have a user's manual for our car, it tells us how to, where the lights are and, and, you know, how to take care of it and how often to make the oil change. It tells us how to maintain the car and keep it running and use it. It doesn't tell us how to build the car. Um, so the main purpose of the Bible, Bible, the written Bible, is to tell us how to live. But it does contain some information. So, you know, I, I always marvel at my car's user's manuals that I've had. They always tell me exactly how many gallons of gas I can put in the tank, which seems to me like a weird number. It's like, you know, it's like 42.345 gallons of gas you can put in your car. That's a piece of design information that made it into the user's manual. There's no way to understand it. It's just a number, but it's correct. That 43.25 is correct. In a similar concept, the Bible put in some numbers, like the sun is made in day four. That's, that's not some poetry. That's correct. According to the to the interpretation, um, so the same with this thousand years and, and one day, uh, it, 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 you know, it it's not it might be poetry in the general sense of the song, but if, if there's some specific information uh, like inflate your tires to 33, that they mean it. <laughs> uh, and the same with the Bible, the interpretation is that those things can be taken uh, uh, literally and and. That God sees time at a different at a different rate. So I, rather than inventing my own kind of interpretation of, of Judaism, I take of the Bible, I take what's out there and try to use it um, and see what happens. And you know, and when I do that, I, I found that a, 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 a creation day was equivalent. To two and a half. It's a, there's an exact number, an exact calculation, but just in round numbers, that creation day was equivalent to two and a half billion years. And when I did that, and I and I I locked in exactly when the sun was made, and when first life appeared, and when the universe started, uh, from the biblical tradition, I was able to get an exact match with the scientific dates. And all the biblical information I use predates the scientific. Uh, date, and I got that exact match for sixteen different items, like the age of the moon, the age of the sun, the age of the earth, the the age um, the of the universe, the first life in the oceans, the first animals, and so on. And
0: so on. so be- before we get into how those numbers are calculated, uh, can you paint a picture of the days of Genesis? Because the strangest aspect of it is that it says that light was created first, and then the sun was created after so was there just radiance everywhere and where where is the supernatural aspect of this because what what is discouraging of uh, religious philosophers is they try to naturalize religious uh, views so they take all these miraculous things such as the creation of the universe and they say well it was miraculous but If you look at the natural uh, system and the way that things develop, it was miraculous that it came about. It wasn't miraculous like the sun just appeared and the moon just appeared. It was more like it was a process, but there was someone orchestrating all those things. Is that how you see it? That there was this radiant light and then God put it together into a sun and then created the earth and then moved stuff around? Or did the stuff just pop out of nowhere?
1: No, it's a process. It's very clearly shown in, in Genesis, a process. I mean, it goes day by day. Um, let me answer your first question about the sun and the, and, the, and the light and the six days, and then we'll go into, you know, what's the process that's being used? Because that, that is available to us. So the first thing we need to understand is that, uh, unfortunately... In, in the Bible, some of the words are used in different contexts, like, you know, earth on the first day means the whole physical existence, and earth on day three means the planet, um, uh, and you have to go into the commentaries to, to figure that out, but the, the whole process is that in the first three days, the things that you need to make the world are made, and in the second three days, you actually make, make the things with the with the third day being a transition, so... The light that's created in the first day completely coincides with the Big Bang. That is what we call electromagnetic radiation. That is a, a photon, uh, you know, uh, that we flash out of our flash lamps, out of out of our car lights, out of the sun, out of the stars, out of everywhere. It's, it's electromagnetic radiation. According to um, to physics, at the very beginning of the Big Bang, there was light everywhere. The whole universe was lit lit up. Just like it says in Genesis and using my formula to convert it matches in time. So the fact that the sun is a luminary that gives off light, like a billion stars and like my flashlight and my phone and my computer screen, that's a separate issue. So what God made on day four and, you know, day one corresponds to day four, day two to day five, day three to day six, they match that way. What God made on day four is he made something useful to us from that light. But, you know, he didn't make the sun from light. He made the sun from hydrogen and helium, we know. Uh, and, and it gives off light. And it gives off that light, that electromagnetic radiation that was invented or created in day one. Uh, I don't see any contradiction uh, there at all. Uh, and, and similar with, with uh, many other things between day one and day four, day two and day five, and, and so on. Now, you know, what is the process? It, this was my most interesting discovery uh, working through because, I, you know, it it's kind of strange. We, we have some very good theories, the Big Bang Theory and the Theory of Evolution, to explain things. They explain a lot, although they leave some very key things unexplained. Nonetheless, they explain many things. And they seem to be very natural, evolutionary. Whereas when you read Genesis, God said, God said, God said, it sounds like a magic show. You know, bang, 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 things are happening. Like you said, you know, here's the sun, boom. Um but actually, there's two very important concepts on Genesis we have to understand. The first is that when you look at the Bible, it's 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 less obvious in English, more obvious in Hebrew. But it's different segments of the Bible are narrated in different names. So God is sometimes called by His essential name, um, uh, sometimes called by another name, which is translated as Lord, uh, and so on. There, there's several. Names that God is called by, and some scholars have said, look, there were 20 authors to the Bible because they couldn't even get together on the name of God. Uh, but that's not the concept in in the tradition. The concept in the tradition is that when an infinite being is speaking, we can't describe it. So as we're in the image of God, we, we have the same problem. So you can't describe me to your audience. You said, well, I have Daniel Friedman here. I have an author here. I have an engineer here. I have a scientist here. Those are all my names, and if I'm telling you right now I'm speaking like an engineer, you're going to expect a fairly exacting technical thing. And if I'm telling you I'm speaking like a dad, you're going to expect a bit, a bit more mushy thing. So by telling you you know, from which point I'm coming from, uh, I'm giving you information. It turns out that in Genesis chapter 1, God uses only one name, and that name is a name that we understand from all the commentaries to mean that he's acting through nature. So when God uses his essential name, not the name he uses in chapter one, uh, he could be m- pulling off miracles, splitting the Red Sea, doing whatever. But when he uses this particular name, and we're not allowed to pronounce them translated as Lord in English, uh, when, when he uses this particular name in Genesis chapter one, it means that he's acting through nature. So the first thing we have to understand, and there's philosophical and religious reasons for this, but separate from this topic, is that God... When he created the universe, he acted through nature. The second thing we need to understand is that most of the, we call it creation, but actually most of the words in the Hebrew, not let there be, but the real Hebrew words, they have a very specific meaning. These meanings are, are uh, show up in other parts of the Bible, so we know what these words mean. And the meaning of these words that we translate as let there be uh, are that. Something is changing to something else. I'm taking wood and nails and making a table. I'm taking flour and and butter and making a cake. I'm taking hydrogen and helium and making a sun. So most of the events in Genesis uh, are, are things that already exist, hydrogen and helium or whatever, and making something else. So if you make something into something else and you do it under a law of nature, that's the definition of science. That's what scientists are always looking for. We always go around and say, well, how did this happen? And what law do we need to explain it? So, you know, an apple falls, we say, okay, it falls always at the same acceleration, law of gravity. What is gravity? We still don't know, but we can work with it. So what Genesis is telling us is that it's an account of something turning into something else under a law of physics, a law of nature. So don't be surprised when you study the creation through the scientific method you're going to understand it but here's where the magic happens there are three places in genesis where the hebrew word bara is used and that word is translated as creation out of nothing the first instance right at the beginning in the beginning god created that's a proper translation that created is a proper translation meaning created out of nothing that science doesn't deal with so in the first four days which are all about cosmology, stars, the earth, the sun, the moon, no life yet. Life is day five. The first four days is basically the cosmology that we study in physics and, cos- and cosmology. Uh, everything is made something from something, and there are a law of nature, and that is exactly what the Big Bang Theory has discovered. It's incredibly accurate. It works, but all the physicists will tell you that the Big Bang theory doesn't tell you anything about how the universe started, how time started, how space started, how we got all these forces of nature, how we got the elementary particles, and how the Big Bang banged. Uh, We have no idea about that. That problem is worse today than it was 40 years ago when I went to school. That is a bara. That is an out-of-nothing creation. So Genesis is saying that God in a split second made all these Lego blocks, you know, all the elementary particles, electrons, the protons, or the constituents of the protons, the forces, how the Lego blocks snap together, time and space. And then it all happened through a natural process. He used nature. So when we study it, we'll completely understand it. But we won't understand the very beginning. And that's exactly what we found in science. We have an excellent understanding of how the universe came to be, except for the beginning. So there's no no contradiction in process.
0: I don't mean to be disrespectful, but um, so if an analogy from like a Star Trek or a science fiction would be that there's a intelligent being from another dimension or from another realm, and he he appears on this realm or or something, and then uh, brings about these. Um, brick-and-mortar materials and then, as an artist, weaves them together and develops the perfect conditions for human life?
1: Uh, almost perfect, I would say, it the same way, except for the last bit. He doesn't actually weave them together. So he creates them. Let's say he, he, he creates the materials and, and so on, but he doesn't weave it together into a sun and an earth and so on he actually is even smarter than that. He makes it a self-assembling machine because he creates the force of gravity. And the moment you bang the universe and you have a force of gravity and you have the materials, everything develops naturally. So you know we, under- we now understand that what happened with the universe is the, the fundamental materials were there and the universe was set off expanding and just the force of gravity and, of course, the nuclear force when you, when you get into stars and so on, but just, just the natural forces, it develops the universe. We can develop that universe in the computer today just from that start. Everything else, you don't need to, to do it. So it, it's God creating a self-assembling universe, if you want. It makes all the parts, and it also puts the intelligence into the force of gravity. It makes it the right strength and so on and so forth so that the thing will develop on its own. Uh, rather than him having to supervise the development of, of each piece. It's like us, when we make an artificial intelligent robot, it goes around and vacuums the house. But I don't have to sit there with a joystick moving the robot around to the house. I give the robot enough intelligence and sensing so that he can vacuum the house by himself. So I make a, uh, if you understand. So oh, completely agree with you until the very end uh, that he, he made it self-assembling rather than having to supervise it.
0: So then the self-assembling aspect of it um, makes him look like the clockmaker from the deist. Where, where does humans and animals come in? Are they created by a unique supernatural event or are they brought about through a process like evolution?
1: Uh, again, there's two other baras, one in day five and one in day six. The one in day five corresponds to sea creatures or sea animals. And the one in day six corresponds to humans. So uh, the, the issue of life is, again, similar in that God creates the key pieces. That, and, and both of those paras are seen not so much as the bodies of the animals and the bodies of humans, but the souls, so what animates them, which we, we, we just don't understand scientifically today. Um, and it infuses that into the creation, again, out of nothing, in the case of humans, out of, out of a piece of himself out of his, his own breath, if, if, if you want, and, uh, and sets that into motion. Now, the Bible is very clear that he doesn't do it the way evolution says, that he creates one particular self-replicating organism and then through natural selection becomes everything in the universe. The Bible is clear that that's not what's happening. The Bible says that he creates a kind And that's typically translated as species, but that cannot be right because we didn't even have that word when the Bible was translated to Greek. Uh, It's a particular uh, word in Hebrew, which is hard to define, uh, but it's not every single species. That's clear from the text. It's some level of segmentation of animals, and, and humans are one kind. And so he creates those, and he makes those Such that they can modify themselves so that we have specific texts in the oral tradition that says that if humans that go to live in Africa are going to have bigger feet and darker skin because of the sand and the sun uh, and so on. So there's no issue in the Bible with what we call microevolution. With adapting to the environment, growing bigger beaks as Darwin discovered for his birds, and and we've discovered for all the humans are you know different eyes and different and all kinds of different sizes and so on, depending on the, on the environment and, and adapting to that environment. But the Bible doesn't believe that a dinosaur became a bird, um, uh, and and science doesn't have a complete proof of that either. So it is evolutionary in the sense that. All of the creation, you know, the, the words say it was created to do. So he didn't build a fixed machine that can't deal with changes. He, he built an adaptable machine. Our sun adapts, our earth adapts. Uh, we adapt. We, you know, when I came from Chile, I got lighter here in Vancouver where it rains a lot. <laughs> my skin's lighter and, and, and so on. So, you know, we, 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 we have that adaptation that's not in conflict with Darwin's theory when applied to microevolution. But it is in conflict that the Bible does say there was a specific event that created different kinds. I, I don't know if, if two million or or two hundred or twenty, but certainly more than one. Um, and working on that at, at, at this point and researching that. Uh, but after that, yeah, it's evolutionary. We, uh, th- th- there's no doubt that that we're all created to adapt, and you know we can have a, we're going to have different shaped humans in the future because of what we're doing in society and how much we're exercising and so on.
0: Dr. Freeman, between you and me, I don't mean to give you a hard time, but is there something within this, this, um, this model that, that you are sharing that doesn't fit perfectly? Yes,
1: there is. You know, when I worked through the dates, uh, this was the, 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 the biggest, uh, you know, a weird thing, you know, that this whole problem started 200 years ago when the, uh, geologists in the UK, which were university professors and priests. uh, And at that time in England, the the, uh, church controlled the university. Uh, The the guy that first came up with with the Big Bang Theory or a precursor to the Big Bang Theory was actually a very famous uh, priest. Um, And these were all believers. And the geologists went out there and they started finding rocks that were older than 6,000, older than 10,000, older than 50,000 years, older than 100,000 years, and all of a sudden, we had a discrepancy between what the Genesis was saying and what these geologists, believing geologists, were finding. So the Earth was the first thing to be discovered to be older than Genesis. And of course, we went from there to all the other things we talked about. The one thing that didn't fit at all by two billion years was the planet Earth. Uh, you recall that in Genesis, the planet Earth is made in day three and the sun and the moon are made in day four. The sun and the moon fit with science. Uh, Science thinks the whole solar system was made basically at the same time. So the sun, moon, Mars, Earth all happened within within a very short time. So the Earth is completely out. Uh, And that was the one that started the whole problem. According to the Bible now, it's older than science thinks (laughs) instead of the other way around. Um, But one of the interesting things is that We don't have any original rocks left on Earth, Uh, unlike the moon where we can go and pick up a rock or Mars. We can't pick it up and bring it back yet, but we can pick it up. On Earth, any rock you pick up is not original. All science agrees on that. In other words, that rock has been weathered and turned into into sand and then made into another rock or has been eaten up by plate tectonics and blown up in a volcano. There are no original rocks on Earth. Uh, so we don't actually, we know the Earth is at least 4 billion years old because we have rocks that are 4 billion years old, but we don't have rocks that are older than that. And uh, the age of the Earth is estimated from the rest of the solar system. We don't actually have a measurement like the measurement I explained about the sun, about the hid- hydrogen turning to helium. Um, so it's a very good theory that it all happened at the same time. It all makes sense. But nonetheless, it's not a fact in science. And the Bible is saying that some smart geologist is going to show us that the Earth is going to uh, be older than it is right now. But that's the one that that doesn't fit by like two billion years, not by a small amount. The other ones are, are very close.
0: But could it be that, that, that the Earth itself is uh, some miraculous thing, that it used to be a garden and then it became a very rough place of survival? Because the issue that fundamentalist Christians have with evolution is that it's all about uh, birth, and reproduction, and, and death. And the Genesis account claims that everything was utopian until the sin of Adam and Eve. So this idea that it was a process or that there was life and death and and, and animals eating each other, and then the humans came, it it takes away from the dramatic effect of everything was pristine until the humans screwed up. You know, I, I, uh,
1: I, I don't think the earth is miraculous because it's not accompanied by a bara. There's no bara anywhere near it. Um, uh, but uh, I don't read Genesis that way. The planet earth is made on day three. And the Garden of Eden is planted in day six. And we have very clear text that there wasn't vegetation until the Garden of Eden was planted, which then expanded to the whole world. And then when Adam sinned, it went into uh, into weeds, and we had to cultivate the land. Uh, So the way I'm reading the text is that the planet Earth wasn't that great until until quite late uh, in its life, uh, day six. Um, I, I don't read that it was created utopian.
0: So what were the dinosaurs eating if there was no plants or not enough plants? uh dinos
1: are dinosaurs are kind of a day you know these are very recent things so if a day is two and a half billion years then you know they the dinosaurs are are, are 60 million years ago uh, 200 to 60 million years ago uh they're in that they're in that time frame but the original the original earth of day three uh it, it seems to be a bunch of rock and water and god is separating and making oceans and making land and and there's nothing in there about all being green or there being plants. That, that all happens much later. So you can have the long Earth. You know, the, the Earth's been around for, according to science, four and a half billion years. And uh, a- animal life on land has only existed for the last 400 million years, only for 10% of its life has there been animals and plants on Earth. So it was made on day three, and uh, it took a long time to get to the point. Uh, where it would it would have these uh, these plants and, and animals and so on
0: well before we run out of time let's get to the fascinating uh, histories that that you tell in your book uh, your book is a it's a great read it's uh, filled with very interesting uh, time periods when Jews were being persecuted or struggling to save their texts. so the way that you weave uh, your findings to that makes it very exciting. Uh, so, so you have certain mystics who are looking at at these passages from Psalms and from Genesis, and they're trying to make these calculations. Uh, can you can you give us a, a sample of what what was the most uh, fascinating or interesting um, perspective that you found as you were looking through all these Jewish sources?
1: Right. So we, we talked about the first part of the book. And, you know, what I, I then by chance happened to read about one of the most famous, uh, you guys, you've mentioned Maimonides. And he says that, you know, the six days of creation correspond to human history, to the years of human history. And I said, whoa, I've been working for years on the six days of creation. <laughs> if that's really true. And he shows it in, in a few pages in a high level uh, how it corresponds. I said, I'm going to do a more detailed correspondence. So, um, so what I tried to do is I tried to lay out kind of the plan of history from Maimonides. And then because we've had thousands of years of history, I can actually put events down, right? We have lots of actuals. It's like, a, it's like I'm going on a trip and, or, or you say you're going on a trip and I don't know where you're going, but I have a map. And I'm, I'm, I have a little dot on the GPS showing me where you are at any point in the trip, and I, I see you're taking this highway, that highway. You're going at this rate, you're going at that rate. If, if, if you do that for long enough, I can kind of guess where you're going. Uh, so that's kind of what I did uh, with these sources. So I, I plotted the major events at the times that that are predicted to have major events, and, and those times corresponding to the giving of the Ten Commandments, to the first temple, to the second temple. And to a period in history called uh, uh, with the Romans, with the Bar Kokhba revolt, which uh, was thought to be a messianic event. So actually the past events all corresponded to messianic events. And when I studied the history, not the Bible, just the history, uh, they all went through the same process. There was something bad that happened earlier. Then there was a, a, a greater than life figure like Moses or David or Bar Kokhba that came across that kind of led the, led the, the, the process. And, and that person ended up building some kind of sa- sanctuary, a tabernacle in the desert, a first temple, a second temple. In the case of Bar Koha, he was killed, so that was aborted early. And then there was some revelation. There was the Ten Commandments, and you know, at, at the end of the first temple uh, uh, era, the, the, the oral tradition was written down and so on. Uh, so there were certain train of events that happened, more or less spaced the same, uh, for four periods in history And the mystical tradition tells us there's five total periods in history. Um, And, and of course, then the logical conclusion is that the fifth one is the one that's coming, the messianic era that's coming. And by looking at the patterns of history, uh, which are amazingly corresponding, uh, one can match it up. And, in fact, one can match up the messianic era with the timeline of Adam's sin, so one of the traditions is what we're going to do in the messianic era is we're going to undo his sin. So he, he kind of blew it and got expelled out of the garden, and we're going to fix it and get expelled into the garden, which is the messianic existence of, of peace and harmony around the world and no war and disease and so on. So that's what I tried to do in the second book. So in the first book, I'm, I'm looking at science. In the second book, I'm just looking at documented history and saying, how does it fit into the biblical plan? <clears throat>
0: Okay, so but this book is the three books put together, and you go through each chapter talks about a period in, in Jewish history that relates to uh, this understanding. And is it um, in Reform Judaism they talk about ongoing revelation? So did these uh, Jewish sages did they know all this information all at once, and then they just uh, discussed it at different time periods, or were they given more knowledge? As time progressed, for them to understand the, the how the universe uh, was created. The
1: you know the tradition is that Moses knew everything; he was handed down everything, and uh, he wrote down the written canon of the Bible, which is roughly equivalent to the Old Testament, but not 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 completely the Jewish canon, the Tanakh. Uh, shares most of the books with the Christian canon. And then the oral tradition was passed down orally and written down, but the oral tradition was written down slowly. It wasn't written down all at once. There was all kinds of events going on in history. So first something called a Mishnah was written down, which is like the Coles notes. And it's very hard to figure out. It's just like just speaker's notes, if you want. And then they expanded that into the full Talmud. So the tradition is that these people that came along they They had a, such a comprehension of the whole uh, literature and and they were at such a high spiritual level that they were able to add more detail and document more of the oral tradition, but they weren't making it up, and they weren't necessarily talking to God Isaiah and those guys the prophets were, but the age of prophecy came to an end, and other guys like like Ramban and Maimonides and so on they were they also have some kind of of a uh, much lower level of prophecy, but mostly they were so knowledgeable about it all that they were able to extract more and more information um, and document more and more of the oral tradition. So the belief is that those people that are so connected and so knowledgeable, they're not making anything up. They're just getting it down to a level that we can understand that they, they can read a Talmud and see those things. I can't. So they have to write out in more and more detail. So, uh, it's, it's kind of in between uh, what you said. So they, they have a, some kind of a prophecy, but mostly a lot of intelligence and knowledge. And they're just they're just writing down what Moses heard. You know, he was up there for 40 days, uh, uh, what he heard. And and I take uh, that stuff and try and weave it together. You know, most of the stuff is not weaved together to explain how the universe came to be. Uh, it just didn't seem to be a preoccupation of all these sages. Their preoccupation was you know, how we should conduct our lives and, and, and live. Uh, they weren't so preoccupied about, about being an engineer like me. Um, so not too many have kind of weaved it together into that. And of course, I have the advantage of, of having all the modern science uh, to, to, to put together it. in modern history. They didn't have all this history. When, when, when Ramban wrote down the correspondence of six days, he was only on day five or the equivalent of day five. He didn't have the rest of history that we've had for the last uh, thousand years.
0: Is there a lot of numerology for our listeners if they were to get a copy of your book do they have to know Gematria to be able to understand what you're trying to say or, or is it based on adding up passages?
1: No, you know, I've, I've really tried and you can see from the reviews on Amazon coming through every day the uh, book's only been out for a, for a few weeks really and um, uh, Everybody's happy they can understand the book. They weren't like that with my other books. That was the purpose of this book. I, you know, I frankly, it was written by my co author, who's a PhD in English and award winning writer. I, I kind of did the outline, she kind of wrote, and then I edited for accuracy. In the other books, I did the writing and she edited for English. This time I let her do the English and then I edited for accuracy. So it's written a much more conversational storytelling uh, process. And there is, you know, th- three or four numbers. Uh, basically, that you and you all you have to do is multiply and add. There's, uh, I explained the concept that in Hebrew the letters are also numbers, and therefore you can add up the letters and 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 and, and get some information. And I show a couple of examples, but the book doesn't rely on that. Uh, it's just to explain that the richness of the Bible and its interpretation, that it's in many levels, it's in a word levels and a numerical level, and in, in many levels. And that's how these people, these smart people—not me, but these other smart guys—are figuring out these things. So I try to give the reader an appreciation for how you might uh, figure that that out. Uh, but no, it's it's intended to be to be understood without knowing any math or any science or any biblical teachings. I, I, I have an extensive glossary uh, for any of the terms. Of course, they're defined in the book. But if you need them later, they're there. And in the ebook, it's actually linked uh, not just to the glossary, but I link other things like, that are not in the glossary to Wikipedia. So if you run into something that you, you need more detail, like the Barcuffer Reward, you just press the button and you're in Wikipedia and you can read a half a page on that. Uh, but I try to make the book standalone.
0: Have you come across uh, Christian Cabalists, Masons, or other people who are also interested in, in finding answers for discrepancies between science and religion? Uh, as you're presenting your book,
1: yes, you know, with, with my uh, with my first book, I've I've had way more correspondence with pastors and priests than than uh, than rabbis in a sense because I, just the population at large. I mean, the, the people are buying on Amazon. Um, you you get the, those numbers. So yeah, I've run into people that that have their own websites that have that have worked on on these issues that are super interested in, in the text that I'm using. Some of them they know, some of them they don't know. Uh, they have their own texts, and we, you know, we go back and forth, and um, yeah, I've learned, I've learned from them. Hopefully, they've learned from, uh, from myself. I've collaborated uh, uh, with a couple. Uh, yeah, there lots of lots of people have come out of the woodwork and 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 are working uh, some of these issues um, themselves.
0: What has been the response of other scientists? And I know that um, they're... Uh, from my impression, uh the scientific community is very leery of, of religious perspectives because they feel that the conversation starts getting uh too convoluted and too difficult to manage, and you can't really debate someone's faith or or their text like so have Have you had pushback or has it been kind of like you have your perspective and they have theirs? Well, have you had atheists come after you? Like, what has been that like?
1: <laughs> you know, it's very interesting because, you know, what's traditionally happened is that, you know, we have a, disc- we have a discrepancy of six days and 13 billion years. Uh, and then what happens is people quickly go to, is it creation or is it evolution? And they get philosophical. So the, the scientists come forward and say, look, I have this beautiful theory and I have all these fossils. Uh, but frankly, there's some very good questions that haven 't been answered yet on that, and we can never go back in time to prove it. And the religious people come up and say, "Look, I hope the Bible is true, but they can 't prove it because they weren 't there at Sinai and they weren 't there when, they, when God made the world. So you, you cannot win the argument that way. My approach, is, I think, is unique. I haven 't seen it. I 've read as many books as I can. My approach is to say, let 's forget about creation and evolution. let 's just look at the facts. Does the Bible, which claims to be the blueprint, correspond to the building, to the universe? Do the dates match? Do the things match? Do the processes match like we just talked about? And my answer has been, they match. And not only do they match, the Bible says there's three places that science won't understand. And that happens to be the three biggest questions in science today. So the reaction from most scientists, uh, have been, and and of course I have relationships with science. I have have emails from guys at NASA have been, wow, we, you know, we kept these two things apart, but you know, we're believers and we're good scientists. We're not allowed to really talk about it too much, but this is, this is a really good uh, way to, that we can see how we've put it together. I've had uh, a couple of comments. I think they were on Facebook early on where, uh, you know, I don't know if they were scientists or not, but, you know, where I basically got accused of, of, of making this up and making all the data fit, well, anybody that studied math can, can see that I can't possibly make the data fit. I could make one point fit. I could make the six days and the 13 billion years match, but that wouldn't make the sun match and life and everything else. Any, any mathematician that looks at that shows that, 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 that you couldn't make that up. Um, so, you know, by and large, uh, a reasonably good response. Now, those are the scientists that engage with me and, you know, the, the statistic, the, the polls in the United States show that half the scientists are a regular church or synagogue or, or some institution goers. So some, half the scientists uh, have some kind of religious belief um, expressed in them going. That's the only thing they can they can measure. Right. Do you do you go to a church? How often do you go to a church? Um, I know lots of religious people that don't go to a synagogue or a church. Uh Uh, They're still believing God, not religious, but believing God. Uh, So half half of them are church or synagogue going uh, scientists. I suspect those are the ones that engage with me. Uh, I I doubt that you know Hawking, who was an ardent uh, atheist. uh, He he obviously has a different a different point of view. Um, But you know, I'm not trying to convert or convince anybody. I'm just saying and just comparing what we know, the facts we know in science. The fossils, the sun, the things we see and measure, uh, and and the and the Genesis account. Here's where they match and 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 how.
0: Are you open to open to debating other scientists like uh, Bill Nye, the science guy, has debated uh, Ken Ham from Answers in Genesis. Would you ever be willing to do that? I'd love to. I
1: just I'm just a no name brand, you know. I watched the debate that a million people watched on 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 the age of the universe and, and, and you know one of the big answers was that the flood caused everything to uh, be mismatched and you know it's a, it's a fundamental answer that religious groups use it doesn't hold at all in science but my answer to the flood is there was no flood on the moon and there was no flood on earth we all agree on that scientifically in the Bible so let's just leave the, uh, let's leave the, the earth aside and talk about the Sun and the moon and and uh, their science is still saying they're old. So I would love to debate any of those guys uh, or anybody else, Um, and and I would would really enjoy it. Um, The public could then decide (laughs) what they think.
0: And what about from your own community? Because sometimes the people who are the hardest on us are the people that that we know and love. So have you had other Orthodox Jews uh, chew you out or give you a hard time or... Or, or tell you that you're wasting your time trying to convince people that are never going to get it.
1: All, all the above. Uh, some have said that I'm doing a disservice. Um, yes, and not just not just religious, but reform or or reconstructionist. So, you know, uh, um, I've, I've had most of the reactions have been positive. You know, I spoke at the, this a um, thousand person uh, Jewish national retreat once a year. I, I, it took me years to get in there. Um, uh, but I finally got in there, got enough credibility, spoke at enough places that they, they let me speak there and it was very well received, but one person was completely adamant that this was a waste of time. It was bad to even think about these things. You know, <laughs> what can I say? I was polite, but, uh, yeah, I've had all the above, not just from Judaism, from Christianity too.
0: Well, there's a point regarding that, um, what is, uh, I don't know if, if your rabbi or somebody has has told you to kind of keep the knowledge to yourself or study more another 40 years, just Jewish sources, to then be able to speak intelligently about these things. Uh, what, what camp are you part of that allows for people to speak about mystical things in public? Um, you know, th-
1: there is a tiny bit of mystical here, but most of my sources are traditional traditional sources. There's one, one number that I need to make the match, uh, which is a bit more mystical, but it's it's from a well-known book. Uh, the other 100 plus, you know, I have a few hundred of scientific sources, which are all peer-reviewed papers. The other 100 plus sources uh, are, are completely, you know, down in the mainstream of, of, of the tradition, like the Psalms and Genesis and so on. Um, so... Uh, You know, uh, certainly my rabbi encourages me to study more. I'm studying with him tomorrow, and i got lots more questions to still work through, like species, and I really want to sort out this whole evolution thing. uh, I don't have a good answer for it. Uh, I really want to get to the bottom of that and and match it up with what scientists have discovered and so on, so I'm still working on that. Uh, But in general, uh, most people, including my rabbi, are encouraging me to to talk about these things and he's helped me get more talks and, and, and to write books because we have a situation today that's very different. You know, when you look at the polls in the United States, which uh, try to measure whether which side of this argument people are, are they, are they on, the, on, the, on the Bible side or on the science side? For the first time in history over the last 10 years, there is a generational gap. In other words, 10 years ago, uh, the 17-year-old answered the questions roughly the same as the 55-year-old. Today, the 55 and up group are way more on the Bible side and the 17 to 25, at least males, not so much females. It turns out that males are the guys that are watching all the public television programs like NOVA and so on, um, which have a lot of science programming in them. Uh, The males, 17 to 25, are on the science side of the answer. So for the first time in history, we have a household where the parents might be, uh, uh, you know, creationist or religious or, or, or have some belief in God and the children are coming through and saying, "No, I, you know, I think this has all happened naturally." Um, so, because that situation is going on in, in, in many households in, in, in all over the world, but we have the statistics for, for the U.S. the best. Uh, there's a big need to address these questions, uh, and that uh, you can't just tell the kids that you know they shouldn't answer the questions or the science is wrong. That, that that's not going to get anywhere. Um, so it's work in progress, but I'm writing I'm writing down what I know so far. And I just keep working at it and, and refining it.
0: Well, uh, if if anybody is interested in getting a copy of your book, uh, where can they get it other than Amazon? Do you have a website or other place that, uh, that they can support you and check out your materials?
1: Yeah, I have a web- website, danielfriedmanbooks.ca, not .com, .ca. Uh, but frankly, the best and cheapest place to get the book is Amazon. It's available on on audio. You have listeners, so many people have wanted an audiobook. Uh, it's available on ebook. It's available on a tr- uh, paperback. It's also available because I wanted my mother to read it on large print format. So if you want nice big lettering and uh, not to have to squint your eyes, it's available on large format, all on Amazon. Uh, and frankly, I, 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 that that's the best price and the best shipping and the fastest shipping you can get. So I've, I'm just just using Amazon. Even on my website, I just direct you to Amazon.
0: Well, wonderful. We want to thank you for your time. It's always interesting to hear new perspectives and to have an honest conversation regarding these topics. Um, as much as uh, there's been developments in science and in all kinds of topics, uh, the Bible and religious subjects are always hot. Topics, so we are looking forward to uh, maybe you can uh, give us an update on your virtual tour and the, the the response that you've gotten from this more I guess popular book that people can get a, a hold of and uh, we um, we're interested in, in, in seeing how people are able to connect all their different uh, perspectives or things that they're learn about the world into. Something that, that makes sense for them. So again, we want to thank you for your time.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me. I'd love to come back and uh, and
0: and tell you the, the reaction so
1: far. Uh, you know, I, I have a lot of reviews that say we don't agree with everything the author says, but he sure made us think, and we're we're working on it. So that's that's all I wanted to uh, uh, to do. I'm not trying to convert anybody to my point of view, and just trying to show that there's there, there's approaches to to have these two worlds. Of the Bible and science coexist rather than be in separate planets. Uh, So I'd love to uh, come back on that. And if you can ever convince Bill Nye or anybody less famous than that (laughs) uh, to debate, I'd love to do that on your show.
0: So thank you and what's a virtual tour like you're going to be doing other podcasts or is it mostly online or how does it work
1: Yeah it's you know I I, I in fact I, I just came back from Toronto and New York and I where I was speaking on the book so but what Yvonne is helping me with is to you know be on some podcasts I I have written a number of articles about nine articles which talk about one aspect of the book that you know you can you can read in 10 minutes instead of having to read longer and she's trying to place those articles in in different, uh, uh, websites and, uh, yeah, that's just, just, just trying to, to impart some information, let people, people hear about, about this work.
0: Have a good evening. Thank
1: you. Okay, great.